0: It's time once again for another chapter of the Rich Hart Show, broadcasting live around the world from the Rich Hart Global and Value Core Studios in Atlanta. And now, please welcome your host, international business dynamics coach, real estate broker, and wealth finance and people consultant, Rich Hart.
1: Hey, 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 welcome back! Welcome back to another show, a Rich Hart Show. Hey, today my guest is John Mangham. John, welcome back to the show. All All right. Rich, it's good to be back. Thank you, John. Today. CPA, real estate broker, investor, and the ten thirty one guy.
0: <laughs> That's a lot of
1: credentials you got there, John.
0: Well, I wear a lot of hats. That's good. Huh? They're, all They're all interconnected. It's lot. all about real estate. It's all about working with investors. A lot
1: of tall hats. You know? John, today we're gonna to be talking about ten thirty one and you as being the ten thirty one guy, I couldn't pick anybody else better
0: all right than you
1: to come on the show. So well, welcome. I, I appreciate it. Appreciate the opportunity. So John tell me, tell our listeners
0: out here, what is a ten thirty one exchange? So if you were to go back to the roots, it's about swapping. And back in the day when the tax code got enacted in 1913, wait a minute, we're about to make people's eyes glaze over Wait a it. minute,
1: 1913?
0: Long ago, long <laughs> ago. A section of the tax code, we all call it a 1031, right. we call it a swap. But 1031 is a section of the tax code, and it deals with the ability to defer paying the taxes when you get rid of a property and you have a gain. And you've got to go through some rules, which we'll discuss today. Good. It has, in some respects, it's got its roots in in the old phrase horse trading, Uh where the cowboy would ride into town on a tired horse. He'd go to the horse dealer, turn in the horse, and he'd get a a fresh horse for the next day. That's a good thing. And there's a term (laughs) that came out of that. The horse dealers would say, well, you're giving me a worn out horse. What else are you going to give me? So the the guy would reach in his pocket, give him a gold coin. Horse dealer would put it in down here in his boot. Uh-huh. And today, when we do a ten thirty one exchange and we refer to boot in a transaction, uh, it's something you get other than the base transaction. Good. Our world is real estate for real estate tax boot. Tax boot. Exactly what? right. So just a couple of nuggets. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you don't like it, I'll start reading the tax code to you. <laughs> no, I think That'll we put can put us to sleep. I think we can hold on to the gory details just a little bit on the tax all code. Righty, all righty, all right. But a
1: ten thirty one exchange. All righty. What makes a ten thirty one exchange? I mean, that's a tool for today's investors. All right, and a lot of individuals themselves, uh, especially in our business, as real estate real estate brokers, all right, as investors and working with investors, whether they're here in the United States or abroad, all right, this 1031 is a common term all right, that everybody hears. We're teaching 1031. All right, but my question is, how, what makes up the 1031? What's this 1031 exchange, this
0: exchange all about, and how does it help investors? Rich, in the old days... And, and I'm going to say pre-1979, when we got what are referred to as the final regulations. In the old days, people would try to swap property. Uh-huh. So if I had a piece of property that I didn't want anymore, and I might approach you because I want what you've got, we'd try to find a way to swap. Very cumbersome transaction, because while I want what you want, what you've got, it's not likely that you want what I've got. Right. So there were these elaborate three-way, four-way, 20-way transactions. 20-way. I, I mean, it just was... <laughs> we don't teach that. <laughs> So today, a 1031 exchange, while it's got its roots in swapping and trading, today, 1031 exchange is a sequence of a sale followed by a purchase. And every real estate professional out there knows what a sale is. Right, You go sit down at the closing office, pass around the paperwork, you flip to the second page, look up at the top two lines, check the commission calculation, <laughs> and you tell the closing attorney, yep, we're good to go. <laughs> All all joking aside, when you're selling a property, when you're transferring your deed to a property, that's the beginning of today's 1031 exchange. Good. And we're going to link that to the acquisition of a replacement property, and we're going to tie those things together with the use of a third party called a qualified intermediary. Good. And we'll get into a little bit more of that. Good. But today, the idea of an exchange is really a delayed sequence of a sale followed by a purchase. Okay. All right. And where, did, where does the investor benefit? I mean, we talks, talked
1: about the tax right, and deferring, doesn't cancel, defers taxation out there. But how does the investor use this tool to really benefit or to really start taking
0: a look and building the wealth on the portfolio? Because, that's, I mean, that's the end, end game for an investor. Absolutely. Let's take, let's take a basic transaction and then build a couple of steps. Oh, good. An investor buys a rental house, keeps it for a number of years, maybe 10 years buys it for 200 and now he's going to sell it for $400. Right. he has got a big gain. That's right. If he takes the cash at closing, he's got to pay taxes. If he does an exchange where he relinquishes or sells the 400 property, and he goes and buys a couple more, the money that he would have paid to the IRS and to the Department of Revenue, right. depending on most states that collect state income tax, right. that money stays in the real estate. So when he buys replacement property, he's using the IRS's money to acquire real property that sure. he's going to own for a while. And he can go down the road in five or 10 years, sell that, do another exchange. A 1031 exchange isn't so much an event, although it is, it's a sequence of a right. sale and a purchase. It's a series of transactions that will help that investor build wealth because each time you don't send a check to the IRS and you keep it at work in your real estate, you're building a larger portfolio. Right, you're exactly. building your wealth using someone else's money. Okay. And we talk about using other people's money if we borrow bank uh, fin- if we get bank financing, yeah. borrow money from a bank, you pay an interest rate. The beauty of this is when you're using the IRS's money in a 1031 exchange, you don't pay them any interest.
1: Ah, see, so it look stays at
0: that. in the deal as long as you keep your money in the real estate. Right, and so you can do this all the way for the rest of your life.
1: Right, so the investor's building wealth, or they're building value, all right, to their portfolio. Yep, it gives them the opportunity to u- utilize more funds, that right, than they would have normally. What lost. Because of what taxation? Because of taxation, exactly. Right? And right. so it gives them a what a, a larger all right, pocket, all right, to play with, a larger pocket of
0: investment investment dollars themselves to play with down the lines. All right, it, it's a bigger war chest. And Rich, we all know that you you can't retire. Or you are not going to become independently wealthy on one rental house transaction. No, of course not. Now, if you did a big ten million dollar commercial deal and doubled your money, that'd be that'd be sweet. Sure, but you don't just do one rental house investors have a tendency, if they do the first one and do it reasonably well, they'll do another one and then another one. And so it's a series of transactions. And each one of these eggs, if you will, in the basket, when it hatches, you do another 1031 exchange. And you keep the, the tax money, the IRS's money, and in our case, the Georgia Department of Revenue, you keep that at work in the local economy. And working with your real estate professionals, they're helping you sell the property when it's time to sell, and they're going to help you buy the replacement property, sure. Because they're the ones who know the market. Now, the real estate professional, right, uh John, you you know as well as I do, all right. We teach and we train this already in
1: the ten thirty one process, all right. Um, how come real estate professionals are really not participating, are working, or developing this relationship with the ten thirty one, especially when you've got everybody out there saying, "I work with investors," you know? Wh- what's that deal about?
0: What's going on? Is it that hard? When we talk about anything related to taxes and anything about calculating the taxes, a lot of people step back because one of the things we've all been told is don't give tax or legal advice right. if, you're in, if you're a real estate professional. At all, yeah. And so when we say 1031, we don't want the real estate agent trying to go do the investor's tax return or, or do that calculation. So there's a little hesitancy there. There's also a surprising uh, shortage of knowledge. They're aware of it. They know it's something to do with taxes, but they don't know quite, quite how it works. And I've worked with countless agents who, after they've done their first one for their client, right. they'll call me or send me an email and say, John, I didn't realize it would be so easy. Yeah, right. we, we sold a property. And then six, eight, ten weeks later, we bought a replacement property. And I said, well, you know, to do all this, you've got to do two jobs. Right. And if you get two jobs, you know what happens. Yeah. You get two paychecks. Not bad for the real estate profession A sale <laughs> followed by a purchase. Not everyone, not every agent participates on both transactions. Right. But the idea is you're helping your client defer a very large dollar amount. And if you can help find the replacement property, that client is going to appreciate your services. And Who is he or she going to call when he's ready for the and next one? Hopefully
1: it's the same agent. That's right. That's right. Yeah, the National Association of Realtors tells us that nine out of ten individuals themselves want to use you again but only 1 in 10 do,
0: Oh, which is kind of crazy. If we could just tip that by 10%, <laughs> that would double the number of agents who use you from Without
1: 1 to 100% 2. 100% through and through.
0: And just a little bit of knowledge of 1031. You want to get into the details?
1: It, details it is. <laughs> details it is because there is uh, there's a long-term uh, bonus all right, for those individuals, especially carrying over the, to the heirs and how they're utilizing the investment property
0: and what the long-term value is going to be. Uh, especially building that wealth for what? Children on down the line in the years. If you take this to the next generation, if you're an investor and and you bought a rental house and sold it later, you had a gain, but you did a 1031 exchange. And let's say you had 10 of these things. Mm -hmm. Now you've got a decent-sized portfolio. One day you're going to die. We're all going to die. Ouch. Ouch. (laughs) But when that happens, if you've got these 10 rental houses that you've been exchanging forward, and, and over the years you've had 25 of them, and you're rolling all of the gains forward, and you're right. rolling all the tax money forward. When you die and it passes on to your heirs, right. your heirs get a step-up in the basis. Right.
1: And let's discuss that because I think that's a that's a hinge point for a lot of professionals and a lot of investors
0: where they just don't understand the terminology or the definition of a step-up basis. So let's see if we can break down a step-up in basis. If I buy a rental house for 100 and sell it for 200 right, and I've had it for 10 years, mm-hmm. two things happen to that rental house. It grew in value. It went from hundred to two hundred, mm-hmm. and that's called appreciation. appreciation. Right. The other thing that happened was I took a depreciation deduction because mm-hmm. it was in my rental portfolio. That's right. And that on a hundred thousand dollar house, that deduction is typically around three thousand dollars a year. Right. So over ten years, that's thirty thousand in depreciation. About a third. About a third. So hang on to this because that's close to a third of twenty seven and a half years, that's which right. is the depreciable life of a house. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So when you when you sell the property for 200 you pay tax on the profit of 100 and you also pay tax on the depreciation recapture of 30 there you go and so your basis now we're going to go back and answer the question what is your basis in the property when you go to sell it for 200 your basis is 70 because 70, right. you wrote off 30 but you do a 1031 exchange mm-hmm. and you bounce into the next property and you continue to depreciate and later you sell that into a 1031 and you go into the next property now you're at your end game, and you've got a property that's worth four hundred thousand, right. and it's been depreciated over over all these years. Its basis might be down to twenty thousand dollars. So your gain, if you were to sell it the day before you died, your gain would be three eighty, right? Because your basis is so low because you've been writing it off year after year. Right. You pass away, your heirs inherit, and let's say they inherited it the very next day. Mm-hmm. You're able to go through probate and all of that process, right? The next day, they put it on the market and sold it. When they sell it, it sells for 400 because the market, the value has not changed from the day of death, which was two days ago. Two days ago, right. They sell it for 400. Here's the step up. Because you passed it to them through your will, the basis went from 10 or 30 in our case mm-hmm. up to 400. When they sell for 400, their new basis is 400. They have zero gain, zero, zero tax. tax. And now, Rich, you've hit one out of the park. Not only have you saved IRS tax money going through all these exchanges, but your kids have had a benefit like they had no idea what was coming. (laughs) You just didn't pay tax on $370,000. What's that worth? And that's on one house. Sure. Imagine if you had 10 in your portfolio. Exactly right. So it's a little tricky when agents are taught – contract law and how to how to prepare the contract and how to list properties and how to show properties. And many agents have a concentration in residential real estate, the, the majority of NAR's members, sure. specialize in the residential arena. So they don't get to work on the investor side as much. And they don't know these things, you know, I speak to it somewhat intuitively, but I've been talking about it for several decades. Right exactly. And so, how do we help the agents understand that not only do you save tax in this transaction, and the next one in five or 10 years, right. but the big tax on the end game. And if you can put that together, and when the agent's client says something, something, 1031, we don't want the agents to have this deer in the headlight right, look. Exactly. We want them to step into it and say, I know about that. That's about saving taxes mm-hmm. on investment property.
1: And especially from from the real estate professional out there, what I like to refer to all individuals themselves that are in real estate, we're educators. And educators of the process. So if you do know the process and the investors themselves have to come up and say, hey, what's this whole 1031 about? You are the resource, the skills, knowledge, the tools, the resources themselves to understand what that 1031 is about. We'll talk about some additional help and intermediaries, which you said before, too, as well. Um, but uh, before we get there, I just uh, I want to welcome you back to the show first. John Mangam, all right? We're with John today. CPA, real estate broker, investor, and the 1031 guy. Uh, John, if they need to reach you at you've got a 404-352-1031. They can reach you at j magham M-A-N-G-H-A-M, at starker.com. We'll talk a little bit about Starker in a bit. But, um, John, as we get back, one thing prompted the conversation that we're having out there. There are certain rules all right, to a 1031 exchange. All right, and there are reasons why 1031 exchanges themselves fail. And they may have gotten a little connotative bad kind of bad press in the industry? All right. What are some of those things? What are the rules and
0: why is there some bad press out there? Rich, I like to talk about 1031 exchange, especially in the real estate world, a little bit like building a house. You've got to have a foundation, then you build a framework, put a roof on it, and then you finish your house. The basic foundation of a 1031 exchange is saving taxes. Right. So we know we're going to do that. But as we build the framework, just a few key elements and again for the real estate professionals to talk about it you've got to acquire replacement property remember it's going to be a sale followed by a purchase both of these properties have to be held for investment and you'll hear the phrase like kind like kind right and that says in the tax code a rental house is the same as a rental house it's also the same as a rental condo or raw land or a commercial building because okay. the tax code doesn't deal with zoning or the differences between improved and unimproved, unimproved property right exactly so the rules are, it's got to be investment property. There's a time period from when you sell. So when you sell and go to the closing, the day you sign the deed and transfer your ownership, you've got 45 days to identify and 180 days to close on the replacement. All right, wait, let's, let's re-identify that. 45 days to identify, to pick out, choose, and put on a written, it's called a target identification, target identification letter. Target identification, right. Target ID letter, one or several properties uh-huh. that you might want to acquire. And Rich, this is, the, this is probably the one point that I like to get my soapbox out and stand on it. <laughs> Let's and, get it out right now. <laughs> and if there's one thing that real estate agents can do for their clients, it's take them shopping. Yeah. 45 days goes by in the blink of an eye. It sure does. And so if you list a property to sell for an investor, it's time to take that client shopping. Right. You can shop before you sell, before you close on the relinquished, the sell-side property. Right. Because 45 days go by, goes by so quickly, one of the reasons we see exchanges fail is that everybody gets all caught up in the process and they don't find a deal worth doing. They don't find a good deal. Right. And sometimes you have to hunt longer. Sometimes you find a good deal very quickly. But we want our investor clients to be able to have as much opportunity to find a deal they want to do right. because 45 days is a hard and fast rule. Sure does. Our industry did a study, uh, as it goes back a few years, But a typical 1031 exchange started and completed in 62 days. And I don't know if that's a a current number, but my sense for the transactions we see at Starker is that's a pretty solid number. And that says from the day we sell till the day we close on the replacement, it's six, seven, eight weeks approximately. And that says the agent, the real estate professional, has done a good job helping their client focus on finding that replacement. Right, exactly. So back to the rules. Mm-hmm. saving taxes time period 45 and 180 days right equal or greater value if we bought and again i'll use simple numbers we bought that rental house for 100 we're selling it for 200 the replacement property has got to be 200 or more, more. Right. to totally tax totally defer all the taxes mm-hmm. but don't just put your search in the multi list system for 200 and greater bring it down to 175 right if you were to do an exchange where you sold for 200 and you bought for 180 you would only pay tax on the little $20,000 spread. That's right. And that might be the best deal for the client. And so when the real estate professional can say, A, let's go shopping, and B, just in case we find a killer deal, let's just look a little below the range. Right. Because I don't have a problem with paying a little bit of tax to get a really good real estate deal. And that's where that tax boot comes into play. And you'd have a little bit of boot. Boy, you're tying the stories together. <laughs> real good. It, it is an
1: education process. I, I, I would believe that most real estate professionals, brokers, even brokers, uh, shy away from that because they just don't understand the rules of the game or they don't have the right uh, terminologies or maybe the right pe- education for that. What
0: do you? What would you suggest? Rich, it can be a little tricky because the world of investors comes with its own jargon, its own terminology, right. its own calculations, things that that many real estate agents aren't I don't want to say equipped to do. They just never studied it. They didn't learn it. It wasn't part of obtaining a real estate license. Right. When when we go to pre license, there's barely a mention of an investor. Sure. Although how many people live in rental properties versus own their own homes? One third of the country sure, so a third of the inventory out there immediately qualifies for 1031 if it's bought and or sold. So uh, there are several things that we do. The The short version is, you know, the four key elements. That is tax savings, like kind, time period, equal or greater. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do that at, at uh, broker sales meetings uh, from time to time. That's 10 minutes, 12 minutes, answer a few questions. This podcast is ideal because we're, we're delving into it at some level, not three hours deep. Right. And then there's, of course, there's the three-hour version. If anybody wants to go further than that, if anybody wants to learn how to do what I do as a qualified intermediary, that's a much longer process. That's reading tax law, regulations, That's court 28 cases. years of love there, without a doubt. That's 28 years of
1: love, uh, without a doubt.
0: But um, it's the same thing as a real estate agent telling their client about mortgages. You can get a 30-year. You can get a 15-year. You can get an adjustable rate. You can get a fixed rate. Well, you know what's the calculation going to be? call the mortgage professional. Right. There's a time when you make that handoff. There's a time when, do I take title in my own name or with my wife, and how do I do that? Call the attorney. Right. So you make that handoff. And so for the real estate professional, there's a measure of education that they're providing to their clients. There's also a knowledge of when to give the information and when to make the handoff to go deeper. Right. And so being a partner to the real estate professional is part of what what I see our job is is to help answer the questions at the next level any pitfalls any pitfalls
1: to the 1031
0: except for just not identifying or uh, maybe bad terminology or bad press the 1031 ex- ex- exchanges that Ashley had out there rich the, the there are two things that come to mind when when you ask about a pitfall or, or bad press <clears throat> probably the one that that just for me it's a kick in the gut I get a call from somebody John I, I got your name I, I've I want to do this 1031. We closed on our property yesterday, and I've got the check. And once you take the money, (laughs) or, I mean, literally, you walk out of the closing, that's, in, in my jargon, that's a taxable event. That's exactly Because you can't unring the bell. The 1031 paperwork, all the documentation that supports this sale, followed by a delayed process, that's got to be in place prior to closing. And so whether somebody starts the process a week before closing, or 3 months before closing to get information to start getting educated. It's got to happen prior to closing. That's sure. probably the biggest one, and I hate when that happens because the the client really wants to do it and they just didn't get their timing right.
1: Right. Or maybe the agent wasn't um, full enough with the information uh, or they didn't identify in the particular time frame. I mean, I can see this. I can see those
0: I, I get agents who call me and say you know, I got your name, uh, something about 1031. Can you send me some information? So, of course, we do. Is your client selling a rental property? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> they've, got, they've got an out-of-town client. They've got a listing. They're, selling, they're going to sell a property. It's empty, but they don't know whether their client used to live there or not. That's right. Part of this is the real estate agent needs to counsel with their client. They just have some casual conversation. Right. Oh, is this, has this been your home? Because there might be some primary residence tax deductions they can take just, you know, not prying too much, but it's a process of asking questions of your client because right. the, the sharper you are,
1: the better the job you can do for your client. You know, John, questions are always going to come up from individuals and uh, especially newer agents, maybe, see, uh, definitely seasoned agents, all right, understanding the 1031 exchange or understanding the process, Already, right? You discussed before the intermediary, all right, and the job of the intermediary. Okay, let's discuss that a little bit. Let's, let's because we're going to have to bring others into mix like we do in the transaction. We bring our inspection people, we bring our mortgage people, we bring our title people. We are all those individuals themselves that are part of the structure of the transaction.
0: But now 1031, all right. We talked about the intermediary. What's the job there? Rich, the role of the qualified intermediary is to provide the vital link between the sale of a property to uh, probably a homeowner who wants to buy the house, move in and live there happily ever after. Right. So you got a sale And then weeks down the road, you've got a purchase. And you're buying from somebody who's completely unrelated to the one that you sold. The intermediary creates the link between the two transactions. There's a set of documents that are prepared by the QI. We refer to it as the QI many times, qualified intermediary. And in the IRS's typical way, there aren't qualifications for the intermediary. The intermediary is somebody who is not a disqualified party. Right. Okay. My English teacher would hate this use of double <laughs> negatives. <clears throat> but that being said, an intermediary, a qualified intermediary means you're not disqualified. You're not the attorney for, the CPA for, the real estate broker for the client, the taxpayer. Right. You need an independent third party. And the QI prepares two sets of documents, one when you sell and one when you buy the replacement. We also participate in establishing a dual signature qualified escrow account where the funds from the closing are held. Right. In our world, each client's funds are in their own separate bank account. We have a love-hate re- relationship with the bank because we're, we're opening accounts, m- many accounts every day <laughs> and closing accounts many, but, but that provides safety for the client's funds sure. while it's caught up in the 1031 exchange. So the role of the QI is twofold. One is to link the two transactions through the procedures that I'm hitting on, and the other role, as we see it, is to provide a consultation, to provide some deeper answers to the questions. When the real estate agent starts a conversation with the taxpayer, the investor, right. and the investor starts to say, well, I don't know what my basis is. How do you calculate it? Um, you know, let me, Why don't you call your CPA or call right. this qualified intermediary that we work with? So we see our role as educators. And then if people like what they hear and they like who we are, we wind up being their qualified intermediary also. Good deal. It works
1: it works perfectly. Hey,
0: another question for you, and I think we'll, we'll finish up from here is that uh,
1: identifying properties, all right, when it comes down to it, we're sitting here, we're live in the studios themselves in Atlanta, Georgia, all right, but properties themselves can be identified anywhere.
0: So let's talk about that. The identification process, you've got 45 days, but the fundamental break in a 1031 exchange any real property held for investment can be exchanged for any other real property as long as it's in the United States if you're selling a property in the US you can buy a property in the US so this is a a program it's an area where i can talk to real estate agents and and by the way i talk to CPAs and attorneys right. if they don't practice in this area That's they right. don't know, they don't know the nuances not to pick on just real estate agents but it, it's technical but you can do a domestic exchange for a domestic exchange you can't sell your rental house in Atlanta and go over and buy the villa in Tuscany, right, which exactly. would be a rental property. Sure. However, there are- Nice idea. Nice <laughs> idea. Exactly. <laughs> there are international exchanges. Yes. We don't get involved in those. Okay. But we we do work with people who are moving crisscrossing across all 50 states. So when we talk about suitable property, somebody who's working with a client that's moving here from Portland, would you like to look at property in Atlanta? Of course. You're going to use an Atlanta real estate agent mm-hmm. because they know that market. Right. I get questioned occasionally, what should I buy? Right. And my answer is, I don't have any idea. That's right. I, I've invested in a few things myself, but the agent that brought me that client is the agent that they need to work with to help find the replacement property. Exactly. And that's who I send them back to. Good deal. So the, the ID process, go shopping, peruse the market, look at things. You can make offers even before you sell the first property. Right. When you go through the logistics, that's sure. perfectly acceptable. Right. But you
1: talked about international. Is there is there an outlet for international? I mean, come at me. I'm an international broker. And so as you start taking a look at international, what's the options all right, when we start talking about international, 1031 exchange in or not? Do we have people themselves we can rely on?
0: Well, Rich, there there are two questions about international. What if I have an international client, a citizen of another country, and they own property in the United States? All right. Let's just say, say from Canada to the United States. Well, A Canadian is going to operate under their tax laws. That's right. Unless they own real estate in the United States, in which case Uncle Sam is going to tax it when they sell it it. because they made a profit in our borders. Mm -hmm. That Canadian can do a 1031 exchange as long as they buy a replacement property in In the the United United States. States. (laughs) That's right. You keep the money here, you don't have to pay the taxes right right away. Um, The next question is, what about people doing 1031 exchanges in other parts of the world? Abroad, right. And now we're talking about U.S. citizens who own real estate in a foreign country. Right. If you sell property in uh, England and you want to buy property in France, you could do a 1031 exchange. Very few qualified intermediaries that I'm familiar with engage in those transactions because that's a once in 10, 12 months. We just don't see very many of those. Right. And then the last group is the international citizens that you talk to who own property in London, but they're, they're Frenchmen, for example, and they want to buy in Italy, well, all of that is completely outside of U.S. tax law. Because at the end of the day, this world I work in is United States tax law and the tax law in the associated 50 states. Right. And so
1: Can't beat that. Can't beat that. Um, your partners, the people themselves you've been working with for over the many years, uh, could they assist? Already, uh, with the uh, Starker Starker exchanges and things of this nature.
0: Well, Rich, I appreciate that. The the company I represent and have represented for, uh, well, I guess I'm in the third decade, so pretty long time.
1: <laughs> you look great for three decades.
0: <laughs> though, right? Uh, Starker Services is the nation's largest independent qualified intermediary. We're not connected to a closing firm. We're not connected to a title company. Right. And we've done these 1031 exchanges in all 50 states. Mm-hmm. So we're available for uh, phone consultation. Good. We're available to serve as the qualified intermediary, uh, and we're available to provide education. Sometimes that's in the form of some of the pamphlets, brochures, and flyers that we produce on topics somebody calls and wants to know about a reverse exchange. Uh Uh-oh. That's another 30 minute uh, conversation. There you go. <laughs> we're going to bring that but one back. <laughs> but I'll send you something. I'll send you a brochure written in layman's terms right. on the 1031, and I'll send you a flyer on the reverse exchange. Good. That's available for a phone call or an email. We'd be glad to do that. And then, of course, the education channels. Uh, you know, you and I specifically were talking right. about some other video opportunities. And, and that's more, what we do. You'll, you'll see training. more
1: and more of these from video opportunities um, where we're going to be holding glasses. Okay, right here at the studios, right here at Richard Global in the Valley Core uh, Studio location, in Atlanta, uh,
0: and on top of that, uh, we get to travel too as well. So that's uh, that's right, very very unique. That's right. There. Having been a, a speaker and trainer for our mm-hmm. for. Uh, well, more than more than a decade. Uh, I'm, I'm in my second
1: I'm... decade with them. You know, I'm we're working it out just to you that's, and I the same way. That's, I, I that's... guess we're the oldest ones. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the I've got the gray hair, right? Uh, well I got a good dye. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, I want to thank you very much for coming to the show and talking about ten thirty one exchange. This is a topic of conversation that always comes up. You're gonna be hearing more and more from you and I about ten thirty one exchange, working with the investor, building wealth. Uh, you're going to see that through videos. You're going to see it through a live presentation. You're going to actually see it through additional podcasts because I think we have to do the reverse. Ten thirty one. All right, without a doubt, so people can understand that too as well. Any last comments for us, John?
0: Oh, Rich, I appreciate the opportunity to come and talk about taxes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like talking. I like amongst everybody. Right? I like to do this in a way that you know we're just slipping in a couple of. You know, a couple of the elements without having to get into the, the dry and boring material. There you go. Without a doubt. Well, that's thank you, Hey, John Mangham today with us. 404-352-1031. Or
1: you can reach him at J-M-A-N-G-H-A-M-E at Starker.com. John, thank you very much for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you real soon. And, uh, hey, happy days. Rich, thank you very much. Got it.
0: Thank you again for joining us and our guests on The Rich Hart Show. Use the social media links here to share today's show and stay tuned for the next episode of The Rich Heart Show, brought to you in part by Rich Heart Global Incorporated and the Core Institute. For more information and to connect with the show host and sponsors, visit richheart.com or email us at info at richheart.com.